When you own anything, any kind of business, there is a little bit of ego, right, in in it. And I find that when you do need to make it for your target audience and not for yourself, you do need to let go a little bit of your ego and give that control to your target audience. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Whisker Talks, the veterinary marketing podcast. I'm Adam Greenbaum, CEO and founder of Whisker Cloud. Today, I have someone not from VetMed, just like me. It's my friend, Lena Forrestal. How are you? Hey, doing awesome. How are you? I'm well. You're here because you and I met as like animal lovers and specifically Boston Terrier lovers. But this podcast has grown much larger than I ever thought it would. And veterinary medicine is this gigantic echo chamber. And I'm really tired of some of the echo chamber shit that happens in this industry. So I reached out to you and said, hey, you have a successful podcast where you talk a lot about being a mom and like life, which I love. And you have this amazing career. You and I have very similar careers where we've just been like head of digital, like a million companies and just thrown ourselves into marketing. But you have, I asked you before we recorded, how many animals do you have at your house? You have like a whole farm. Yes. So my husband and I live on a small farm in New Jersey. We have four dogs, 36, Six chickens. It used to be 36. Now we're down. I, I honestly haven't even counted them recently because they just keep getting eaten. This is going to sound terrible, but listen, with chickens, not going to get too off topic, but with chickens, there's two ways you can do it. You can keep them penned up in a run for their whole lives where they're generally more safe. But then what kind of life is that? So I let my chickens free range. And with that, they really explore all six acres that we have. They're so happy. Like they eat all the things, but then they also sometimes get eaten. So that's the trade-off. And then I have one cow. I have one. He's a rescue cow. He is a steer, which means he doesn't have balls anymore because we did not want him to become a bull, which is not great. So no aggressive cows on our property. I'm so excited for this conversation and where it's going to head. Because like I said, you're not in veterinary medicine. So we're just like two techie people. But like the reason I have Lena on here for everyone out there wondering, like, why isn't this one of like the famous vets that I love? It's because I often call myself the ideal customer for a veterinary hospital. I have three pets. My wife and I have no kids. We spend a crazy amount of money on our pets. We will do anything for them. And we appreciate good technology, good websites, good marketing, things like that. You're very similar. You have a family. You have a million animals. And I want to talk about a few things today. And again, like this is going to be an interesting balance for me as the host of this podcast to make sure we don't go off topic. But I also think it's important just to talk about like career and sort of like from your side, you're an expert marketer. I mean, you've worked at Fortune 500 companies. You've run multiple marketing departments. You have a podcast. You've been featured on Yahoo, Bustle, 50 other things. Like you're out there doing your thing. So if you're a veterinarian out there listening, you know, you're probably tired of my bullshit. But like I have someone on here who is a smart, successful person who you want to be your client. And 
let's let's first introduce who you are. So I ask everyone when they come on here, what's their hero origin story? Now, I believe that people in veterinary medicine who like put their mental sanity on the line oftentimes for not as much money as they deserve are heroes. And that's why I started Whisker Cloud. That's why I'm still so passionate about Whisker Cloud. So I always ask people like, what's your superhero origin story? You might know this about me, Lena. I don't know if anyone really knows that I kind of like the Incredible Hulk a little bit. Hello. I knew that. Okay. You were being sarcastic. You were being sarcastic, right? Because like every tweet is about Marvel and the Hulk. (laughs) Oh yeah. I love the Hulk. We just got the She-Hulk trailer today. My life's great. But, But for you... What's your superhero origin story? Like you have this insanely cool career where you've worked at these massive companies and done so much in marketing. How did you find yourself so deep in marketing? So I will start. You mentioned that vets are heroes. And listen, I have a very quick story before I get into my story. We had a local... So we just moved into our house in New Jersey. We moved from Thailand, which I actually do want to share our vet experience in Thailand later in the podcast, because it's vastly interesting how they do it over there. But anyway, long story short, our four dogs got into a whole lot of chocolate while we were out. And we came home to see wrappers everywhere. Specifically, they were those like chocolate oranges. I don't know if you've seen those. They're from England. But anyway, our dogs ate all of them. And we had to rush to our nearest vet and our they did the whole pumping of the stomach. And my little Boston Terrier, Daisy, she actually ate most of it. So I'm really glad that we went and got her stomach pumped because she probably would have died. So they are heroes. So our local vet is our hero forever. Um, well, I don't love what happened to Daisy, but I, I do love that. She's good. So everyone's good. So my hero origin story, I am the first person in my family born in America. So my family, my parents are immigrants. And I kind of had the classic, you know, first generation kid story of being in America and then struggling with this whole identity of my parents always saying I'm being too American, but then I go to American school and I speak English and it was just always this sort of like tug of war between my culture and then also assimilating into my home country, which I was born here in America. And it just was always hardworking. My family didn't have a lot of money when I was growing up. So I just really vowed to myself that I wanted to be financially successful enough that my family would never have to worry about money. Specifically, even like as a young child, I think I was like nine when I decided this, I wanted my future to look like I wouldn't have to look at the price tag on something walking into a store. Like I could just walk into a store and I can buy whatever I want. And it's less about material stuff, but it was more just about being able to support a family and not having that, the financial stress. Because all I saw growing up was my family, you know, fighting about money. And it's just something I didn't want for my future. So in that, I just always since I was 18 and kind of unleashed into the real world of going to college, I really put an emphasis on networking. I didn't always know that I wanted to be in marketing. I actually started off my career in political science. But I was always obsessed with just having a really strong personal brand, demonstrating to people that I was reliable and that I was a hard worker because I was not a very good test taker. I was not your 4.0 student. I was horrible. 
kind of just horrible at school. I don't think that the school system is built for all of the brains out there. I certainly didn't thrive, but I really thrived in the working world because a lot of that is also these interpersonal skills and being able to have conversations and give feedback and write these soft skills are really what take you far because ultimately... When people are building their teams at these companies, they want people, yes, of course, they want capable people that can do the job. But more importantly, they want people that are going to be loyal and great team members to them and just not an asshole, for lack of better words. And I'm sure you as a CEO, you've probably seen everything and you know the value of a really, of honestly, just a nice, good person, right? Skills can be taught. I can teach you how to do something. Actually, we were just recently, I have an intern for the summer, which I'm so excited about. And she doesn't know everything, but she's a great person and a nice person. And I will take that because you can teach the rest. So that's sort of my hero origin story is just coming from humble backgrounds and just hustling. And I ended up with a partner, my husband, John, who is very similar and also came from a similar background. And we both just we have we both work full time and then we both have our little side gigs and just inspire each other. So it's been really great. And again, like, I love what you said. Well, a I think college, it's like you're I'm trying to think like, by the time your child is getting ready to go to college, I don't think college will even be a thing. You think so? <laughs> what is that, like 16, 15, 16 years away for you? So like in 18 years, 18 years. Yeah, I don't think there'll be college anymore. I just, I don't see it. I don't think there'll be college. Like college is weird. Why are we spending, and like for vets, holy shit. Like, I, and you don't know any of this. So like, it's weird too. Like we're techie people and I'm typically like getting vet information from the other person on this podcast. But now like I'm the one giving you the vet information. But like these vets go to school, get their biology degree, and then they go to these veterinary schools. And I mean, they're in debt six figures. And then, you know, you get out of school and sometimes the money's not great. So, I mean, think about that and like you know for someone like you someone like me you know we get out it's not crazy we don't obviously have to go to veterinary school we get our business degree whatever and we go get jobs and life's great i mean it's it sucks i think college is weird and stupid yes so i do share that sentiment so my husband and i made the choice already that if our son doesn't want to go to college and he would rather be an entrepreneur or follow some sort of passion we wholeheartedly support that. Now, I will say we also I feel like we'll have the privilege to give our son to make that choice. But I just don't think that higher ed is for everyone. And like you mentioned, these student loans, it's insane. And we have we actually have very good friends that did not pursue the higher ed path and they became plumbers and electricians and they were buying their houses at 25 when most of us were still drowning in debt so it's just crazy but but then if you think about it it's at school and i don't know if you had the same experience like in high school you were made out to look like an idiot if you didn't want to go to school if you didn't want to go to college or worse if you wanted to go to community college or this almost like hierarchy and it was terrible and so toxic i really hope that it's changed 
I doubt it has. It's just weird. But yeah, I mean, and, and, and God forbid you want to be like a doctor or a vet or a lawyer. I always thought like, well, God, I don't want to start my career at 30. Like I graduated high school and college early. I was like 21 years old, out of everything, graduated with honors, ready to start my career. I moved out of the house when I was 17. So like for me, everything in my life was so early that it, I just wanted to get out of school and be done. And I mean, I had a, I was lucky enough. Well, I don't want to say, actually, I wasn't lucky enough. I fucking crushed, I killed myself to get a scholarship for college and and never pay for anything. So no luck there. That sucked. But yeah, for vets, oh my God, they just get crushed with student debt loans. So it's, you know, it's, it's nuts. But yeah, your story is so cool. And okay, so first off, so you have this amazing career where I think you and I first became acquainted when you were doing social media for CA Technologies. And, but I mean, like, you're one of those cool people. And like, there's just like, even if, like people I haven't, I haven't really gotten to know or follow. Like, I just have all these people like on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook that I've just like followed their life and career weird, like kind of, that sounds creepy. But I just, I love that path. And I tell that to my social media team here. Like we have entry level social media people. We have higher level social media people. I tell them all like, you think you're starting as a, you know, social media coordinator at Whisker Cloud. And you're like you know, your chop shit around here. You're really not like, that's where I started my first job out of college. I went to an advertising agency. I was the one single social media grunt. I had to go take the pictures I had. And we had clients that were like construction companies, legal companies. And I, you know, I'd show up and be like, Oh yeah. Do you want to post to Facebook today? There wasn't even Facebook pages. We would like create profiles for the businesses. I'm old. I'm dead. I well, I think we're like roughly the same age. I'm 33, so I think we were probably starting out at the same time. Yeah, I'm a couple years older than you. Oh, okay. So you were probably in the infancy, infancy, but I it was it's kind of gross to see where it's like it's come so far in such a short amount of time. It's crazy. But no, being a, everyone starts out somewhere and being a social media coordinator, it's a great role. You learn so many important skills like copywriting and connecting with an audience and figuring out the algorithms, what works, what doesn't, but then ultimately just like how to connect with the human being on the other side. Because I think what people forget is that we are all humans. Like even Whisker Cloud is human because there is someone on the other end. It's also about, so I feel like the, the strategy these days is to humanize the brand. I feel like a lot of brands are trying to feel like actual humans. You see that a lot on TikTok. I'm sure you see it too. I'm glad you said that because this is exactly where I hope this episode would go. We do social media for many clinics and we have a big team. We have designers, copywriters, social media, and we do like a full social media package for them. And you just made a comment about humanizing the brand. And I got to tell you, and, and I'm sure half of you listening to this podcast, we might do social media for you. Half of you suck at sending us stuff. And it's not hard to pull out your phone, send a, you know, take a picture of the smiling practice manager, take a picture of the, you know, the smiling doctor and do those things. And it's really hard for people to feel like they want to showcase their team or their brand on social media. But then guess what happens? They get bad reviews and they say, don't they understand that there's people here? Don't they understand we're trying so hard? So from your perspective, this is a weird question to throw at you because I did not tell you I was going to do this. But let's say there was like a, I don't know, 
some sort of Doctor Strange like spell and you woke up tomorrow and you're the head of social media at a veterinary hospital and you've never worked at a veterinary hospital. This is crazy, but this is how much of a cool marketer I think you are that I could throw this at you. Like, what would you do? Like, what would be your instant thought for strategy? And everyone out there listening, this is a very skilled marketer. She has no shit about like, well, you might, I don't know, but you probably don't know about like marketing a veterinary hospital, but I want everyone to hear like, what is a very, very, high-ranking marketing person in this country think? Yeah, one that kind of sounds like a little bit of a dream job because I do love animals so much. I feel like that's actually a very realistic image I could have for my future. Although I do love, I work at Cisco and I do really love it here. But anyway, the first thing I would do Besides some of the other stuff, like doing a social media audit, right, going through all the social channels, seeing what works, what doesn't, pulling analytics, besides all that, the type of content that I would focus on first is showcasing the expertise and the skill of the people who work at the veterinary hospital. And that comes in a few different ways. So thought thought leadership, right? So if there's any new research now, I don't know if there's any journals is it like the medicine practice where you have like journals of different medicines and different research that comes out every year? I'm sure it is. Yeah, like there's things like the AVMA and AHA that kind of put stuff out. But I also think it's like, I don't know, like from my perspective, I want my vet to be like, hey, this is why you should be brushing your pet's teeth or you know, yeah, I mean, do you have a pet that's getting older? It's like my house is three stories. I have a 12 year old Boston Terrier and, you know, she's in great shape. But, you know, there's days where she's kind of walking up the stairs a little slow and it's like, hey, is your senior dog not going upstairs as fast, you know, as usual? Here's a quick Q&A with Dr. Greenbaum and and he's going to tell you why, you know, you should get them on glucose or whatever, you know, and and like. So I'm with you. Like, yeah, I like that thought about like providing the expertise if everyone out there is listening. Oh, it's 100% the first thing you should do. And that could look a couple different ways. It could be an infographic. It could be just a text-based post. But if it's, I feel like it's so much easier. And I know speaking in front of the camera is scary for a lot of people. But if you're seeing clients, it's the same thing. You're just speaking to a camera. And it does get easier over time. Recording a two-minute video on why you should not feed your pet table scraps, for example, you know, which is something we're really guilty of in our house. But anyway, recording a two minute video and then just sending it to your social team, right at Whisker Cloud, that content is gold because all of these social platforms are video first. And it's in my opinion, the easier content to churn out. So you could content batch if you have an hour or even less than that, if you have maybe a half hour in your day and you can batch different questions, like frequently asked questions, the vaccines that you should give your dogs or even like allergies is such a big thing. Here are your different allergy options when you come in with a pet with allergies. And what that does is that it shows the audience and your your current clients, one, because you want client retention, you want your client to come back over and over again and not get curious and say, oh, I wonder what how this other pet hospital is like over there, right? You want to keep them there. So client retention, but then you also want that content to be shareable so that you get potential new customers. And that that's the whole point of why we're on social media, right? So providing that expertise as basic as it might sound to you as an expert is really golden information for 
your listener. That's the first thing I would do. And the second thing I would do is truly, I think it's something that you mentioned is, did you mention customer service? I mean, it's customer service, uh, bad reviews. Okay. Making it stupid easy to schedule an appointment. That's actually a takeaway from our experience in Thailand. So my husband and I lived in Thailand for two years. Recently, we brought our Boston Terrier with us. And that's also where we acquired our three other rescue dogs, which was a very insane story. But as you can imagine, with four dogs, we went to the vet a lot. And it was interesting in Thailand you think there's so many, when I say Thailand, I feel like people have different images in their head. They think of Leonardo DiCaprio's The Beach. They think about the huts. They think about rice fields. But Bangkok, for example, they are actually very, very modernized in a way that sometimes I don't see over here in the US. And it really boggles my mind. But it was easy for us to schedule an appointment. We just used There they used um, Line, which if any of you are familiar, it's like WhatsApp. If you're familiar with WhatsApp, it's kind of like Facebook Messenger. So it's kind of dialing it down. But being able to schedule an appointment like that made it so that we actually visited the hospital a lot more. And we just when we stayed with that particular hospital because it was so easy to schedule an appointment. This is all so amazing. Literally, my wife knows Lena and I and my wife just sent me a text when you were talking. <laughs> she goes, how is it? And I went, she's so damn good. Oh, my God. I literally just text that. But like, so a couple things, everyone listening. This is someone who doesn't frequent veterinary social media pages or marketing stuff. You and I clearly never talk about this. And yet you were just able to like perfectly literally perfectly describe a perfect content strategy for a veterinary hospital. And I have this conversation with a lot and I know our social team does. They're like, well, it's hard to take pictures. It's like, do you have an iPhone? Yeah. Okay. Well then you've got 10 times more camera than you'll ever need in your pocket for video and for photos. It's not hard. What in, by the way, just for everyone out there who's listening to, it doesn't have to be the doctor that's giving this information. You have LVTs, RVTs, you have a reception team who can give you tips on how to make your visit better. I mean, you do all of these things and it's just like, it doesn't have to be hard to shoot photos or videos and, you know, have our team craft something for you. So like, that's sort of part one. Part two is you made the comment about like ease of use to book an appointment. So I'm going to fill you in on something that you don't know about veterinary medicine. And I know because thousands of veterinarians worldwide use Whisker Cloud for their websites. There's amazing apps out there like Pet Desk and Vetstoria that allow you to like book online in seconds and get it going. And then we have probably 30, 40% of our customers have like a custom form where you can kind of request different days and times. And then I would say maybe I'm going to do some quick math in my head. Let's call it 20 to 30%. Some like 5% for error there, but 20 to 30% have call only. How do you feel about that? Like as a pet, like, would you feel comfortable with that? Call only. It's unfortunately actually like my current pet hospital is call only. And I just, as much as I love them, it really sucks. It's just the hard truth is that we don't want to call anyone. It's just the truth. I hate calling. And I don't think I'm alone in that. So I'm with you. I'm going to ask you another question just to follow up. And I'm going to prove a point to about 100 people here. Would you ever in your life as a new client, 
go to a veterinary hospital where you saw no pictures of the doctors or team? If it was an emergency, maybe, but it would make me very uneasy. I do like seeing who is treating my baby, right? For lack of better words. It's like, I feel like a lot of pet owners look at their animals like their children and if not more. And this is coming from a mom. I, I do have a physical human baby. So, you know, because there's that whole like people hate it when you call it a dog mom, like uh, you're not a mom if you're a dog mom, blah, 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 all that BS. But no, you should have pictures. Again, humanize yourself because the vet is a scary place, not just for the dog. So think about and think about the experience, right, of your customer. They're walking in most likely anxious, even if it's just a wellness visit, because their dog is most likely anxious. So their state of mind is already not great. If you can make that experience really pleasurable even if it's just offering up photos of yourself, of your team, smiling photos, making the ambiance and aesthetic really pleasing and comfortable, it's just a step in the right direction to keep that customer coming back. VetMed, are you listening to this? I know you're tired of me. I'm like at this point, I'm just like I'm like Greg Popovich on the Spurs. I'm just the coach that's been there too long and my voice starts getting like muted out. Everyone out there, seriously, holy shit, listen to this. This is a successful person who has money, who spends a lot of money on all of her million animals and is like telling you what she wants. And, and I can't tell you, Lena, how many times I've had to like call people myself like, hi, you're working with our team. I'm the CEO and founder of Whisker Cloud. They told me you don't want to put pictures on the website. Now, normally I'm busy running this company and shouldn't give a shit, but I'm calling because I care. And I really do. And I want you to have pictures on your website because my Boston Terriers, I would take bullets for. And I'm telling you right now, if I'm looking for a new vet and I can't see your face, you're not getting me. And you're not getting my, you know, annual dental cleanings and my, you know, three times a year senior blood work because I'm a psychopath. And, you know, the Apoquel and the Cytopoint shots and and the food and and all of the supplements like you're not getting that if you can't put a freaking picture of the doctor up on the site. So like, and, and by the way, like hearing you even talk about, like you said, it's scary to go to the vet, but I mean, think about that. Like, it's so interesting. Cause like I'm in veterinary medicine and, but like, here you are a normal smart person who has a human physical child and has physical animals. And like in your mind, it is scary to go to the vet. So why would you make it more scary by like not making it easy to book an appointment? Why would you make it more scary by not having photos of your team or not showcasing your team on social media? And again, like I, I brought you on here and just so everyone knows out there listening. I swear in my life, you might not believe me. That's fine. I swear in my life. I did not prep her for the questions I've been asking. We talked for a couple minutes before this and she was like, what are we talking about? I'm like, I don't know. You're good. You're good at marketing and you've got a lot of animals. And I said, I think you'll just bring some good insights. And I said, let's just see where the hell this goes. And, and, and I said, I have a feeling it'll go in the right direction. And yeah, it's gone in the perfect direction, but it's like, you're kind of like hitting all my pain points for me. It's like, you know, you like get into a fight with your spouse and like your friends are there and you ask them what they think and they like take your side on the whole thing. And you're like, yes, that's how I feel right now. And I never get in a fight with my spouse. If, if you're listening, Liz, I love you. And we never fight and you're the best. Anyway. So there is something I do want to touch upon that you made me think of, actually. So customer service, booking an appointment, it's just the first step in the user journey, right? And I'm sure Adam Adam's team works with you all on this. But it's the first step. And 
the reason why thinking thinking of some of these companies that are super successful, like Starbucks and Whole Foods. So for Starbucks, old example, but was it Howard Schultz? Was he the CEO that I just pull that out of my he was the CEO, but he wasn't the founder. It was um, Jerry Baldwin was the founder. And I think Baldwin, like someone owns the Seahawks anyway. But yeah, Schultz was the CEO for a while. We're really pulling this out of the archives of the memories. But I think what Howard Schultz did was that he became crazy obsessed with the customer experience. And he wanted to provide legendary customer service. And he used the word legendary in all of his training packets for everyone along the chain from the barista to the manager, to the manager, to the cashier. And that was one of the reasons why Starbucks became such a great company was that focus on customer service. So I feel like if you have your own veterinary hospital, a step in the right direction would be to think about every single step in the user journey or the customer journey from booking an appointment to taking their first step in the door. How do they get greeted? And it might sound minimal of how do they get greeted? Is it a, hey, nice to meet you? Or it's something so small, but it makes such a big difference because first impressions are everything. And I know that we, like my husband and I, have definitely made decisions to continue to go to practices or not continue to go to practices, all based on that that first impression. We've gone to a lot of hospitals over the years. My my boss and Terry is about is about the same age as yours, Adam. So we've been eleven years in the game for us. But yeah, so I feel like that's and if it takes even just sitting down, you know, this can actually be really fun as an owner is dialing it back because you're so busy in the day to day. Sometimes you don't even have time to think about these things. Stepping back and then mapping out with your team, let's physically draw this out. A customer walks in and then they say hello to the receptionist. They sit down and then they wait. And maybe it's if they're waiting for longer than 15 minutes, do you offer a water or do you offer a treat for their dog? It's these little things that just truly make a big difference. And then at the end, customers do want to get educated. So, you know, I feel like some people can be hesitant to like push things, right? It's like when you go to the hair salon, this this example is more for Liz, but you know, you go to the hair salon and then at the end, they offer you up all the shampoos. But a lot of people will offer products. So they'll offer the flea and tick or the heartworm medicine without any education that comes with it. And providing just one sentence of education, such as, it's about springtime. This is when ticks start to mate. So you might see an increase of ticks in your area. Do you have your flea and tick? Because a lot of people don't give their their dogs flea and tick during the winter. So it's little pieces of education that I think can just really make a huge difference. That's my little, my little rant. I'm just laughing so hard because it's like, you don't know this shit. Like, how would you even know to talk about flea and tick? It just cracks me up because like, I don't want to like take away from what our team does and we've got a lot of strategy behind it, but it just like, it cracks me up that like, here's a smart marketing person who has no idea what like the marketing strategy like behind all of this. And like, I just find it so funny that like, you're just like nailing it. I'm like literally sitting here cracking up. Yeah, I don't really know, I guess. But I think just as a customer, 
like being a customer for so long and such an intense customer too. I mean, our Boston Terriers, they are, you know, baskets of problems and needs. So I feel like just in that experience, it's helpful, right? And how often do you really get to sit down and talk to your customers? I imagine not often, like to really do a little focus group of what's going well, what's not, what what could we do better? And maybe that's another thought too, is if you have like follow-up emails, you know, offering a little short survey, what did you like about your visit? What could we do better next visit? I think that could provide a world of insight. Well, it's, and I'll tell you this, like from my experience working with the vets, I think that the trouble that they're currently dealing with is like, well, A, they were dealing with COVID, but B, it's like, A, there's insanely high turnover in veterinary medicine. Like, you, and you'll have people that are like, oh, ours isn't that bad. No, yours is bad because you email our team three times a month to remove someone from your site. But I think that that's not just a vet med thing. I mean, you probably see this at Cisco and other companies. That's everywhere. There is a ton of turnover. And I think it's tough because with the cost of veterinary medicine and people are more price conscious than ever, it's really tough. I mean, I think being a the owner of a veterinary business is extremely tough right now because a lot of people don't want to spend money on flea and tick and things like that if they don't need it. Then you have the people like you and I who are like, whatever they need, we'll do it. We'll do senior blood work all the time. I don't want anything to catch me off guard. But so I think you have to do that. You have high turnover. And then when you're hiring like front desk people, guess what? They don't make a lot of money. And most practice managers, which is a really hard job and they deserve a lot more, don't make a lot of money and they're really stressed. I mean, we've got, you know, we, we have some great, I mean, if, if you're out there listening, go back a couple episodes and listen to the, our, my episode with Melissa Stedman. I mean, that is a really talented, experienced practice manager who told you straight up, like, life sucks as a practice manager. So I think for them, and again, it's like, let me ask you this question. Put yourself in their shoes. You're a receptionist at a vet hospital making somewhere in the 10 to $13 an hour range. Like, would you really give a shit if someone has a good, would you care if Adam Greenbaum and his Boston Terriers had a good day? Or are you just like, I just got to make it through the day and I'm hoping I don't have to get screamed at. You know what I mean? It's just tough. And I think that's all about, then it becomes about kind of team management and the culture that you have at your veterinary hospital, because I have worked those jobs. I've definitely done some grueling work for really low pay. And I feel like the jobs that I gave more of a shit were ones that I had leaders that I respected and that I looked up to, even if I wasn't getting paid a lot, or if the culture was really great and people were really nice. And you can still be kind and still be stressed. But if you do work for a vet hospital where the culture isn't great, maybe you wouldn't care about taking that extra or going that extra mile. It's funny too. Like I talk about vet med with a lot of people and they're like, dude, how'd you end up in that weird niche? And I'm like, well, to be honest, there was like no competition and I knew I could build something cool. Plus I knew I'd give a shit, which most of the companies in this space just don't really do. And I find myself caring way too much, but man, this has just been so interesting. Like hearing your perspective on veterinary medicine and like your experience with veterinary hospitals that I think it's good for people to hear. Cause we are in this veterinary echo chamber where everyone kind of says the same stuff. Oh, it's toxic and this and that, and we got to do this, but it can't just be talk. And yet it's always just talk. And I don't think like it's going to get solved anytime soon. I mean, this is going to take like generations of change. And, and I see for me, like, I think technology helps that. And, and you had made the comment where it's like, we don't want to call just so everyone out there is listening. 
years ago, I was the head of marketing at a healthcare organization in Denver. And my boss at the time, this is a funny story. If anyone wants to hear how I quit a job, this is a true story. My boss at the time was, um, it was a nursing organ, an organization for nurses, a really big organization. And my boss who I was working with was in her late seventies and, and our target, our target audience was like nurses either just starting school or like in school, you know, ages like 22 to 26. And we were in the process of rebuilding the website and revamping our marketing. And I was at that point, I was pretty fed up because the bat I was hired with the intention that like I I ran the show for website marketing and then everything was a battle. So we're in this conversation about the website and we had redesigned some stuff. and, And she says to me and my team, like we need to make the buttons bigger. I said, no, this is how big buttons are. And she says, why well, can't see them? I, I want to see them. And I said, listen, this I can make them like 10% bigger. But other than that, it's like comically stupid on this website. She's like, no, they should take up like, you know, and she like made something with her hand. It was like 15% of the page. And I said, what is wrong with you? No, we'll never do that. That's nuts. And she says, well, I run the show here and this is what I want. And I said, let me just explain something to you. The founder of Walmart doesn't buy all of his clothes at Walmart and the leadership team at McDonald's doesn't eat McDonald's every night. And, and the people running Nike don't wear Nike every day. And the people that run spirit airlines don't fly spirit airlines. And I'm not playing this game. This website is not for you, a 77 year old person. This website is for a 23 year old nurse who wants to be inspired and doesn't need a, a fucking button taking up 25% of her computer screen. And anyway, I ended up losing that battle and I, I left because and it was all over the size of a button on a website. Well, it was more than that. It was that you were hired specifically for your expertise. And then there's someone else telling you that they could do it better than you. I've, I've actually had that same exact experience at a healthcare org. Well, and like, you know, in healthcare and vet med, they're tied together. But it's like, and my point of telling that story is not just to tell everyone like, oh, that's another glimpse into why he maybe likes the Hulk. But it is like a good reminder that's like, Veterinary practice owner out there, if you're listening to this, it's not about what you want. It's about what works for, you know, your potential or current customers. And and like the whiskercloud.com site, everyone loves it. It's a very fun site. I like it, but it's not really my style, but it's the perfect style to attract people in this industry. So if it was up to me, it, there'd be slightly different colors. We'd probably have less like cartoony shit. We, we would do it a little differently. I love it. And I mean, I've personally worked on it and I think it's great. And I have a team of people that pour their heart and souls into it, but it's not for me, but it's right for this industry. And that's the difference. If it was me, it'd be like the most modern slick site. It would look like a freaking travel website, but we can't do that because that doesn't appeal to veterinary practice owner in outskirts of Austin, Texas. They don't want to see that. They want to see the cutesy shit that like veterinarians like. And I think basically what you're saying is when you own anything, any kind of business, there is a little bit of ego right in, in it. And I find that when you do need to make it for your target audience and not for yourself, you do need to let go a little bit of your ego and give that control to your target audience. And that's exactly what you mentioned is, you know, the Whisker Cloud website is not for you. It's for vets, people who have very, very different day-to-days than you do and like different things and like and see different aesthetics every day. So 
it's a practice in letting go, but it does get easier. And if it's something, if it's a small change, if you, and I feel like a lot of business owners or owners know that they require a certain amount of change to stay relevant and not get left behind, right? But it's hard to actually go and make those changes because your ego wants to hold on to the way that things have always been done and why people shouldn't be the way they are today. So if you can practice making small changes, it does get easier over time, letting go little by little. But it's at first acknowledging that too is I want this to be call only because people should still call. But the other the also the other thing I want to touch upon, not to go on a tangent, is thinking about your customer, right? And the the demographics that they're in, but then also the next generation of your customer as well. So when you are making these changes, don't make them too late to the point where you now have this next generation of pet owners and the changes that you have made are now irrelevant to them because the next generation is coming. They are getting older. They will start to own pets and have more income and spend it on your practice. So it's thinking about your presence and your expertise in that way too. How do you want to demonstrate your knowledge and expertise to a generation that's not impressed by credentials, but maybe are impressed by short form videos on TikTok? It sounds like a lot of work, and I know it's so overwhelming. As you mentioned, the attrition is really bad right now in every single industry. So pick one, and that's and if we're talking about social media or marketing, it's pick or rely on Adam's team number one. But maybe pick the lowest. If it's just video, it's just video, and don't worry about making infographics or or all of that. So. I don't know. I just went on a little bit of a tangent. But think about your next generation of customers because they're coming. No, I mean, and again, like, and and tangents are great. I go on a million a day, but you're right. It's like, we get so bogged down in like the day-to-day, even at Whisker Cloud. Like, I'm constantly thinking of that. Like, one of our fastest growing segments of our customer base is mobile vets. And three years ago, I would have never even, we maybe had like three or four. Now we have over a hundred mobile vets, not just in the US. And by the way, that is a segment of veterinary medicine that's growing so crazy because at some point these people are like, you know what? I'm sitting here for 50 hours a week dealing with bullshit. I don't want to do it. I can go get in my car. I've got some clients I like. I can do some marketing and I can go to people's houses. And, you know, you look at things like Uber, which I invest in and really like, and, you know, and like Instacart, and DoorDash and things like that, people want things delivered to them. So, you know, if I'm a vet hospital and I'm thinking about, you know, if I say like, hey, I don't want pictures of the doctors on the website. And and if you want an appointment, you have to call us, man, you'd have no shot at getting my business ever, ever. It's why make things harder for your customer to purchase, right? And listen, can I tell you, if there was a mobile vet by me, I would pay big money for that. Because like I said, I have four dogs and it's a hassle. If I could just have one shot a vet come and do all their nails, do all their checkups, I would pay that bill in a heartbeat because the convenience and the time I spent calling, scheduling, getting in my car, dealing with an anxious dog, throwing up everywhere, like it's worth it. Wow, mobile vet. I'm obsessed with that idea. 
<laughs> See, look, look at this. You're out on a farm and you like you don't even know about it. But for us, like we work with so many and and like and it's cool because, you know, like in the past, you're a mobile vet. What do you do? Well, you get in your car, you slap a magnet on the side and you drive around. Well, like why? You can you can have a killer business. You can come to Whisker Cloud. You can have an amazing website. You can have I mean, we run Google ads for a lot of them, too. And it's like. It doesn't really interfere because like, I think it's a different business. I mean, hearing your reaction to that's really interesting for me because I have brick and mortar vet that we go to. I've never really jumped into the mobile vet game yet. Although it is something that I think would interest me. I I think I need to get myself there. I'm still more of a brick and mortar person, but yeah, I mean, it's just, but I mean, again, like, like I said, two years ago, we maybe had three mobile vets. Now we have over a hundred. And by the way, like I expect to have another hundred in the next you know, year and a half. Right. I mean, and if that's something that people are thinking of, so you are, you're a brick and mortar person right now, but your life might change if you decide to start a family and have children. It might happen that you might want to go the mobile route because you just have less time. And all of a sudden lugging a child and an anxious dog into a brick and mortar doesn't sound fun at all. So it's interesting. So I feel like like if my brick and mortar vet offered a mobile service, oh my gosh, I would pay whatever that fee was. Did everyone just hear that? This is a successful marketing executive that just said the words, I would pay whatever. That's You should all be salivating over that. No, I mean, I pay for someone to pick up our dog poop every week. Like it's called Poop 911. Have you heard of that? I've never heard of that. It's a national chain and you can become like a franchise owner in your area and you literally provide poop cleanup services. So someone, two people come to my house every week, they clean up all the dog poop, they deal with the waste, they take it away in their car and it's worth every penny. It's worth every penny. You know, I, I had about two, three jokes to make. And then I quickly thought, you know, I do have to remember just because Lena's here, this is still like my company podcast. I had like three quick jokes and and there was like this long pause that I won't even edit out because I was like, you know, that's a really easy joke. But damn, that's but see like that. But again, seriously, vet professionals, listen to what she just said. She pays someone to come to her house to pick up the dog poop. What should that tell you all? Seriously, and it's, I don't even feel weird saying this with you on this episode. She has money to spend on her pets. We just bought our pets like a $100 water fountain. Water what? Water foam? A water fountain, just like to go drink out of. Because our dogs and cat aren't peasants. They don't drink out of a porcelain bowl. They need water flowing into their mouths. They need to have an experience when they drink water. The point is, like, there are successful people who are weirdos like you and I who want to take over the top care of our pets and also want to spend money to make sure that, like, they're taken care of, whether it's us doing it or not. Yeah, right. And and for everyone listening, I... We do. My family does well, but we're not millionaires, right? So I, I still am your target customer in that I'm not like crazy. Not that I'm not crazy. Well, it's weird to say I'm not crazy rich. I'm not. But we do. We do. We have what's it called? Uh, like expendable income or disposable income, right? Like, like I have money to spend. Anyway, you're saying this awkwardly, like someone who's actually got money, but you're not trying to sound like it. LOL city. Okay, let me gather my thoughts for one second. What I want to say is that there's two things that I pay for. It's convenience and 
prevention. So like Adam was mentioning about getting blood tests, senior blood work, if you can educate your customer on doing preventative care, I think that's so valuable because I don't want to pay a $4,000 surgery vet bill on something that I could have easily prevented. I feel like that's an easy win, especially for older pets, because even I am actually very much in the dark. My Boston Terrier is 11. She has a host of health problems, and I don't really know what I'm doing. And my vet is awesome. She's awesome. But if I could be educated a little bit, or be given the resources of places or where to go, the websites to visit where I can do some reading about it, that would be a huge, easy win. So let's say you go in and your vet says, hey, I want to do senior blood work. I want to do a full dental cleaning. You know, I want to, you know, it's like, well, Sophie, my, my dog, she just turned 12. It's like we did senior blood work. They're like, it came back. It came back good, you know little bit high in the liver and pancreas, which she's had before. So we ran another test and then we did a test for pancreatitis. Well, at this point, just for the blood work alone, we're over 500 bucks. I'm like, do it. And they're like, okay, came back. It was a little elevated. We want to do an ultrasound. We want to do an ultrasound on her liver and pancreas. Okay. Went to the emergency hospital. They shaved her stomach. It was like another 500 bucks by the time it was all said and done. She was there for a couple hours. They did some other tests. Great. All of that just to find out, hey, we want to put her on some Denimarin, I think it's called, you know, just like a supplement for this for older dogs. And it's like, okay, so that's a thousand dollars for me to find out like she's fine, but we should, she should probably be on this supplement. I never blinked at any of the charges because I just wanted to know, would you have done the same in my shoes? We literally, we get the bill. We're like, Ugh! and then we pay it and then we don't really think about it. It's just the cost. It's the cost of owning a dog. I feel like a lot of people in our position kind of know the costs of having an animal. It's a lifelong decision one, but then it's also a decision that you make knowing that you're going to spend, you're going to spend, especially if you go with a purebred dog, it's just different. It's just, it is what it is. Like you make it work, you budget around it. This is just so great. Just, well, A, just you and I kind of shooting the shit and doing this podcast, but B, it's just like, it's so funny because I swear to everyone listening, we did not like prep for this at all. So just like hearing you talk about like saying things like, I just want to be educated. So many vets are afraid to put themselves in the forefront of their marketing and, and to sell like, no. And I think Whisker Claw just had a, a post on like Instagram or Facebook the other day. It was like, you should be selling. You are a business. I should walk through that door. And you should just be like, Hey, is your pet on parasite preventative? No. What the hell's wrong with you? Where do you get your food? Do you like the food? Oh, you buy I am's food at the grocery store? Nope. This is what we're going to give your pet because that has a bunch of chicken filler and shit. And this is what we want different. You know, when was the last time your pet's teeth were clean? Okay. Well, 70% of cats and dogs over the age of three have some form of gingivitis or periodontal disease. Like you should be doing that all the time. Oh, you have your pet. Do you love it? Well, if you loved it, you'd be you'd be doing dental cleanings. Like you, they should say that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, and you know the customer can always say no, but think about it less as selling and more as you're helping people. Right, you're helping your customer avoid having their like their dog's teeth being pulled out, which happened to 
Daisy. Daisy has like no teeth left. And it's probably because no one offered us any dental cleaning. I didn't know that was a thing. All I was giving her was those green dentist sticks, right? Which are horrible for dogs, by the way, which you should know you should have been told. You know what people what maybe what vets or even doctors might think is common sense isn't so common to just the common to the regular person. So you're not selling, you're helping. And it's true. You are helping. And Adam's right. You do have a business. You do need to pay the bills. So it's okay. Like give yourself permission to share your expertise. Like you work so hard for that degree and all that knowledge in your brain. You should share it because it can really help people. And then also, you know, help your business grow too. So you're this like marketing expert, cool person, love being a mom. One thing we didn't really get to touch on a lot is that like, I feel like, well, A, the majority of veterinary medicine is female. I don't know the exact numbers. I can tell you based on like my... I didn't know that. See, that's crazy too. But no, I'm not kidding you. Like based on my customer base, and we have a few thousand, I think close to 4,000 vets we work with, I would guess it's probably, this is a super shot in the dark based on a small sample size in my head. I would guess that we're probably at about 70% female. So how do you juggle? And I won't make you like go into like a long thing we have like three minutes left anyway but like how do you juggle being a mom and and having this great career and being a wife and caring for your animals like how do you do all of that he asked with three minutes left i know that's like the golden question i mean it's like juggling i feel like i I heard this metaphor a while ago i don't know if you've heard of it but you're juggling all these balls in the air right some are glass some are rubber And also the ones that are glass might change with the seasons and some that are rubber might change too. My son is a glass ball. I can't drop him. So there are things that just get prioritized and we just work. The schedule works around him. And then second is the animals, right? Because they are living beings that we chose to have on our farm, even though, and also, I mean, poor chickens, I know they get eaten, listen, but they're having an amazing life free ranging. We just don't believe in keeping them in a cage. But anyway, yeah, the juggling is really just that is that some things are going to fall behind. And that's okay, too, because there are like these everyday messes, but you can't drop the balls that are going to turn into disasters like a big vet bill or like a fire or a hazard or something. So yeah, I feel like we just make it work. And and that's the thing too. I I think a lot of people, you know, are afraid to maybe pick up a hobby or do a new thing, like adding one more thing to their plate. I think a lot of people are nervous about, but then it always sits in the back of their mind of, oh, I would, I've always wanted to get into photography or something. Jump right in. Because there will never be the right time to add something to your plate, but you can always find ways to work around it. And even if it's a hobby that you work on a half an hour every single day, if you think about the end of the year, like I wanted to learn about investing stocks and stuff. And I dedicated, I think it was like about seven to 30 minutes a day, just listening to podcasts or literally Googling stocks. I didn't know what I was doing. But at the end of the year, I actually had a very good knowledge base of starting to invest and I was able to make some money. So think about it that way too. Like if you want to do something like a hobby or maybe even pouring back into your business, maybe you don't have time or the resources to do social media, but maybe you have that seven minutes a day building your 
personal brand on social media seven minutes a day, at the end of the year, you're going to be really thankful that you started. And you're going to probably be really proud of all those minutes you put in. So anyway, that's... Did I even answer your question? Who can remember what the question was? I'm just kidding. I know. (laughs) You don't. I mean, we juggle. Yeah. Glass balls, rubber balls, all the balls. No, I mean, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you being on today. This was so cool. I'm going to link to your podcast for all the veterinary moms out there. The new mama's podcast. We'll put a link in the show notes for everyone. And Lena, like this was just so perfect. You absolutely crushed it. Thank you so much for being here and really just making it seem like I've been right the whole time, um, which I really appreciate. Yes, we did not plan at all. Like that was not, we literally exchanged a couple messages on Twitter and then just hopped on. So that's fun. Well, thank you so much. This was perfect. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.